0: 11, so we'll jump in and some of the parents will join us as we go. My name is Brent Smith and uh, so glad that you've joined us and what a great morning already. And so uh, good in that setting, in that context to now open up God's word and have God speak to us through his word, have God encourage us through his word, have God uh, maybe even challenge us a bit through his word this morning. And so uh, we're in uh, Part two of a little mini series we started last week, called "Of Thorns and Third Heavens: Paul's Guide to the Suffering and the Supernatural," and uh, we looked at the third heavens and the supernatural last week. And so you can go back on the website or on the on the podcast and listen to that. And uh, so we're going to jump into part two, and look at uh, a verse, a few verses in Second Corinthians twelve uh, that talks about the thorn in my flesh, and look at wha- what that means for suffering for us. Now, you're probably, maybe, probably not, but I've got a bit of a limp, and I'm wearing sock feet, and so this, uh, this week I had a bit of an accident at work, and uh, I got six stitches in my big toe, uh, so yeah, six stitches just in my big toe, and so it was uh, quite an event Tuesday morning, and it changed my week. You're just never sure how your week is going to go, and oddly enough, we're preaching about the thorn in my flesh, and about weakness, and about suffering this morning, so God works in mysterious ways, and if I bang it on here and collapse, we can all just pretend that the Holy Spirit fell, and uh, we can start praising, and, and maybe the band can come up, and, and we'll move on from there, all right? So... I've been doing all right. I also haven't stood for 45 minutes, so we'll see how this morning goes. Mark said I should get a little stool and a desk and, and, uh, and my laptop and be like a hip, trendy pastor. Instead, I'm up here in my sock feet, so those days are long gone of being hip and trendy. So, here we go. 2 Corinthians 12... And uh, just like we looked at last week, uh, when we looked at the first few verses of 2 Corinthians 12, uh, there's some difficult things. There were some difficult things when we looked at Paul's third heaven vision, and some of us might get hung up on some of those things. When Paul's talking about out-of-body experiences and in uh, and Acts 18, and he's talking about a trance, and we talked about these supernatural things. Some of those things are make us a bit uneasy, make us a bit uncomfortable. And uh, in the same way, I think maybe there's some things that we're going to look at this morning that we might get a bit hung up on, uh, things that might we, we might find a bit uncomfortable or a bit challenging. And so I think it's important for us uh, right off the get-go just to fix our eyes on Jesus. So thankful for the worship time leading into this. And uh, I was thinking this morning, when we come to church, when we come to the, the gathered body like this, I think it's good to come uh, prepared, and so it's good to be in the Word. It's good to prepare yourself to gather together. How does God want to use me this morning? Who could I pray for? What could I bring? So encouraging to see the gifts and the contributions that were brought this morning. So I think it's good to come prepared. I think it's good to come expectant. We're coming expecting God to work. We're coming expecting God to speak. We're coming expectant for God to do something in us and through us. And I think it's good to come dependent, dependent. We recognize that it's his spirit that enables us to praise. It's his spirit that enables us to understand his word. It's his spirit that enables us to apply the word and his spirit working through the word changes us. And so we come prepared, we come expectant and we come dependent as we come to his word. We want to sit under his word, we don't want to lord ourselves over his word, right? Yes. All right, so let's pray and then we'll read and then we'll take it from there. So, Father, we just ask that you would come and you would meet with us as we open your word. We thank you for the promise that your word is living and active, that when you send your word out, it accomplishes all that you send it out to perform that it never returns to you void and so we just come and we submit ourselves under your word we recognize our dependency on your spirit and father we come expectant for you to do a work in us this morning we pray that you would just carry on the good work that you've already started through worship and we pray father as we read your word That you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, and you would give us hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Corinthians 12, and we'll read the first 10 verses, but our focus will be on the back half of that. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, fourteen years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. I am strong. All right. We'll try to wrap our heads around what Paul is saying here. I don't have them up on the screen, but for those of you who take notes to follow along, our four points this morning are the source of the thorn, the purpose of the thorn, the nature of the thorn, and finally some principles of the thorn. The source of the thorn, the purpose of the thorn, the nature and principles. So we'll ask some questions of the text, and then at the end, we'll allow the text to ask some questions of us. All right? So, first, thorn in my flesh. What is the source of Paul's thorn? From where or from whom did it come? And we can read in verse 7 that Paul says, A thorn was given me, or the NIV says, I was given a thorn. In my flesh. And so the subject of who gave him the thorn is left a bit unexpressed. Uh, most commentators see the word that Paul uses here as what's called the divine passive, a way of expressing that God is the hidden agent that accounts for certain events without mentioning his name. The verb that Paul uses here is used throughout the New Testament to speak of God bestowing favor. So we see in Ephesians 3:8. To me though I am very least of all the saints this grace was given to preach to the gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ in Ephesians 6:19 Paul asks the Ephesians to pray for him that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel and in 1 Timothy 4:14 4, he says do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So over and over we see that that word that Paul uses is uh, is used throughout the New Testament to speak of God bestowing favor. So if Satan were the source of his thorn, Paul probably wouldn't have used the word given to describe it coming to him. He would have used uh, many other New Testament or Greek words that would have been more appropriate to describe the work Of the enemy. So we've got that, but perhaps we can see more clearly that God is the source of Paul's thorn when we look at what the purpose of his thorn is. So we'll move quickly past that first one what is the source? Because what is the purpose helps to clarify that a bit more. So Paul tells us twice in verse 7 that the thorn was given to keep him from becoming conceited about his heavenly vision. So the, the, the vision that he describes in the first few verses uh, that we looked at last week, Paul has an ecstatic, heavenly vision uh, where he hears things he can't repeat. It encourages him, it builds him up, as we looked at last week, a special grace in light of how hard his ministry would be. Uh, but on the back end of that vision, we learn that Paul is given this thorn to keep him in humility, to keep him from being puffed up About his vision. So when we see the purpose of the thorn, we know that Satan could not be behind it all. The purpose of the thorn is humility, and Satan is not interested in producing humility. Satan would love for nothing better than to see Paul walk around with his chest out, with his gold chains and his white suit, and just be, hey, look at me. I'm the man with the heavenly visions. I'm the man with the heavenly revelation. God spoke things to me that cannot be uttered to the likes of you guys. He would love Paul to be consumed with that pride of how God had blessed him with that heavenly vision. To quote NFL Hall of Fame receiver Terrell Owens, I love me some me. (laughs) He would love Paul to be strutting around Greece Just saying, I love me some me, right? So when we see the purpose, things get a little clearer. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So humility is associated with Jesus. Humility is a Christ-like character in people, and it's not an item on Satan's bucket list to work in you. He wants to humiliate you, but he doesn't want you humble. The fact that Paul says the thorn was given to him points to the source of the thorn being God, The fact that Paul says the thorn was given to him to keep him humble from being conceited points to the source of the thorn being God. So, at this point, we should probably have one big burning question on the front of our minds. If you've been following along, if you look at that verse behind me, there should be one big question right there. If you are saying that the source of the thorn is God, then why in the wide world of sports does Paul say that it was a messenger of Satan to harass him? (sighs) Can we go back to the third heaven (laughs) sermon? (laughs) You thought that one was difficult. So, We haven't worked through all the hard stuff yet of 2 Corinthians 12. So Paul says that he has a thorn that was given to him to keep him from being conceited, and he also calls that very thing a messenger of Satan to harass him. So a basic summary of what Paul is communicating here is this. Satan pierced him with a thorn From God. If I could boil it down to one sentence, Satan pierced him with a thorn from God. Some of us might be more uncomfortable with that than Paul talking about going into a trance and going to the third heaven, right? Does that bother us? Paul says he was given a thorn. It appears that the source of the thorn is God to keep him from being proud, to keep him from being conceited. But he also says that that's a messenger of Satan to harass him. Does it bother us? Does it bother us that it doesn't bother Paul? Paul seems to very easily and comfortably say that Satan gave him a thorn to harass and God gave him a thorn to make him more holy and they are one and the same thorn, the same suffering, the same affliction, the same weakness. In order to make sense of that, we have to understand that God often uses the devil to accomplish his purposes. Now, I know trying to wrap our heads around the sovereignty of God is a bit like trying to wrap your heads around time travel. But, nonetheless, it's there. And uh, Paul says here, Uh, What Paul says here is not foreign to the rest of Scripture. Satan and God work at cross purposes. One is the giver of life. One is the thief who robs, kills, and destroys. One goes to great lengths to extend forgiveness. One is called the accuser. And they can both desire the same event to happen while looking to accomplish very different results. I'll show you that. From four examples in Scripture. One is a, a bit of a difficult passage, so maybe I shouldn't bring it up, but it's 1 Corinthians 5 5, uh, where Paul tells the church to discipline a man who is in some deep sin, and he says, by delivering him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So God uses the momentary destruction of Satan to ultimately save the man. That's just one verse. But you can see it there, albeit a bit of a difficult verse for us to wrap our heads around. We see it played out in epic scale in the life of Job. What Satan had hoped would destroy Job, or at the very least cause him to blaspheme, mock, and grow bitter towards God, God uses to strengthen and refine him. Although not a direct reference to Satan, Joseph... In, the story, in, in Genesis, Joseph tells his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God meant Joseph to endure evil in order to produce good, not just in Joseph's life, but for the good of others as well. So I know we're kind of wading into deep water here, but there's, there's, there's biblical precedent for what paul says that this thorn was producing humility in him even though it was a messenger of satan to harass him all right and lastly i think all of those things are really just pointers to jesus christ and so and so we really shouldn't be too bothered about paul's statement about the thorn because that's what happened at the cross who wanted jesus to die Did Satan want Jesus to suffer and die on the cross? Yes. Did God the Father want that as well? Yes, but for very, very different reasons. Paul is able to look at the suffering in his own life through the lens of the cross. The cross isn't just the center point of history, it's the focal point of the entirety of Paul's life life it all comes back to the cross that's what shapes his thinking motivates his passions and forms his life so what paul is saying in second corinthians 12 is that he was pierced by satan with a thorn from god we'll put a pin in it for now we'll put a pin in it it's uh it is hard to wrap your heads around it it was hard for me to wrap my head around it it's Still, it's hard to wrap your head around it, but it is there. So we can just let that sit for a minute, and we'll keep going, okay? So the source, the purpose, the purpose is to keep Paul humble, which points us to the source ultimately being God, even though he says it was a messenger of Satan to harass him. So we've looked at the source, the purpose, and then the million-dollar question throughout Uh, the years in church history, what is the nature of Paul's thorn in the flesh? What was it? We don't know. Point four. (laughs) I was joking. made a joke there. We'll look at it for a minute. Just because Paul doesn't say specifically doesn't mean that we can't put a few things together on what the nature of Paul's thorn is. Uh, First, the word translated thorn is found only here in the New Testament. Uh, In classical Greek, it's used sometimes to refer to the the tools of war, Uh, but it's simply referred more often to just a splinter or thorn stuck in the body. But we shouldn't gather that this is just some mere irritation in Paul's life, and Paul is just a gigantic wimp like myself. Uh, Whatever it was, it must have been excruciating, because if you can rewind a bit to 2 Corinthians 11, right? This guy went through some stuff, right? If you look at that list in 2 Corinthians 11, right? Paul is basically the Chuck Norris of apostles, and he is able to endure a lot of things. So when we get to 2 Corinthians 12, and he's talking about pleading to the Lord for this to be removed, right? It's not just some minor irritation in his life. Paul says that he pleaded three times for it to be removed, which could mean that in one singular event, Paul passionately called out on God for deliverance three times, like when my daughter Lydia cries out with a loud voice, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, right? She is communicating passionately through saying it three times, her state and her need for deliverance from that state. Uh, Another possibility is that this is just a phrase or an expression uh, Paul's way of saying he repeatedly called out to God for deliverance. He prayed at length. If I prayed at once, I prayed it a thousand times sort of, sort of thing. So whether Paul is communicating the strength of his prayer or the length of his asking of God or both, either way, he was not delivered from that. But what exactly was the thorn? And uh, if you can imagine this, believe it or not, people have spent a lot of time developing theories about what Paul's thorn could have been. Imagine that. Christians spending a lot of time thinking about things that the Bible isn't clear about at the expense of thinking about what God is clear about (laughs) and being in wonder of that. Instead of marveling, Wow, God's grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weakness. We dwell on what is this thorn and why didn't Paul want us to know and what conspiracy lays behind this and how does this thorn connect with the thorn mentioned in Ezekiel and how does America and North Korea play into this (coughs) instead of just sitting and marveling that his grace is sufficient in the midst of the thorn. So we'll spend a minute here. Uh, The interpretations can be summed up into four Uh, In four areas, Um, some interpreters take it to be a reference to an inordinate sexual desire or lust, but would God have told Paul to cease praying for deliverance from sexual lust? No. Would Paul have boasted about sexual weakness? No. Would Paul have been so content with its power in his life? No. No. So we need to be clear first and foremost that the thorn is not a reference to sin. This is the same man who warns us in eight, Romans eight thirteen, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And in Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, Covetedness, which is idolatry. Or as the Puritan John Owen famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So, whatever this thorn was, it makes no sense to see it as sin in his life. Paul says that the thorn was given to him to keep him from pride. And so the Spirit is in us to put sin to death, not to make us content and rejoice. In our sin, you don't kill sin with sin. Sin breeds sin, it doesn't kill it. So we cannot see or get it twisted that Paul, here by talking about thorns, by talking about suffering, by talking about weakness, Paul's talking about sin in his life. And so often our tendency is to uh, coddle or put up with sin but hide and fight our weaknesses. And Paul flips the script on that. He gladly embraces his weaknesses because he knows God is using it as he violently fights sin in his life. So don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, this explosive anger where I just destroy people around me, crush everyone in my path, that's just my thorn in my flesh. There I go again into all my sexual sin. It's just the thorn in my flesh, God keeping me humble. No. No. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I think some of us this morning may have got it twisted and you've become buddy buddy with your sin or at the very least sin is like a slightly annoying house guest that sleeps on your couch and eats your food and won't leave and oh well I asked him three times and he just didn't leave I think we all need to grow in our hatred for sin sin is not our friend sin is not just an annoying house guest in our lives sin is our enemy Sin killed your best friend, Jesus Christ. Sin mocks and ridicules your good father who gives you life and love. Sin takes every effort he can to steal your joy. Sin will smile to your face while he stabs you in the back. Sin is not your friend. And that's why Paul says, by the power of the Spirit, put him to death. So sin is not our thorn in the flesh for us to be gladly content with. Some might interpret it that way, but I think we should look at that and firmly say, no, no. Second, some believe that the thorn was an emotional problem from which Paul couldn't shake free, perhaps hysteria, periodic bouts with depression, debilitating feelings of insecurity, etc. So that's one option. The third suggestion comes from one of the early church fathers who suggested that the thorn is simply a reference to all the enemies of the gospel who opposed and persecuted Paul during his ministry. And so, in effect, the thorn is a collective reference to all those who are responsible for the sufferings he describes back in 2 Corinthians 11. So when Paul speaks of his thorn he means something similar to our expression a pain in the neck. I've got a thorn in my flesh. So that's that's a possibility as well. Lastly, the thorn could be a reference to some form of physical affliction. Down through the centuries many ideas have been given Including but not limited to a speech impediment, epilepsy, malaria, gallstones, kidney stones, gout, deafness, dental infection, rheumatism, earaches, headaches, sciatica, arthritis, and leprosy. Many possibilities there. Okay, in Galatians, something that's interesting I find in Galatians 4:13 to 15, he says to the Galatians. But you know that it was because of a body, bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you for the first time, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus Himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given to them me, given them to me. So apparently, Paul had some sort of serious. Eye affliction uh, that uh, would be loathsome and cause people to despise him. Um, some people even think that this eye affliction with his th- was connected with his third heaven vision, kind of like staring at an eclipse. He had this great, wonderful vision when he went uh, in that in that third heaven vision, but it but it damaged his eyes. Just the glory of what he saw, kind of like staring at the son, messed him up. So it could be an emotional affliction, could be a relational affliction, could be a physical affliction. The fact that we don't know, though, is actually a great mercy to us for two reasons. Because if Paul said the thorn of arthritis was given to me, right, it would comfort only those of us who have that weakness. But those of us struggling with bouts of depression could easily toss it aside. Sure, Paul can say he can boast in his arthritis, but I bet he wouldn't say that if he was going through what I'm going through. Or if he said, I was given the thorn of Randy from Lystra, who threw rocks at my head while I tried to preach, those of us with a speech impediment would say, well, how does that relate to me? Whew yeah, maybe God poured out grace for him while people are throwing rocks at him while he preaches, but mine is such, such uh, less than that, then surely these verses don't apply to me. If Paul was specific, we would immediately go to our default of comparison in order to wipe out the truth of this verse. So we can be very thankful that Paul, in his wisdom led by the Holy Spirit, said, I was given a thorn of the flesh and left it at that. It's also helpful because it serves as a reminder that what the thorn is isn't the point. It's about God's good purposes behind the thorn. Paul doesn't want us to focus on the thorn, but on what the thorn produced. Humility, dependence on God's power, in the midst of the weakness that the thorn brought to our life. All right. So, well done. There are some big things in there. but we got through, we've looked at the source of the thorn, the purpose of the thorn, the nature of the thorn. We've asked some questions of the text, and I think it would be good to now let the text ask some questions of us. So first, are we seeing suffering and hardship as a purposeful piercing? Are we seeing suffering and hardship as purposeful piercing? In this room this morning, we represent much emotional, relational, physical affliction we are a people of many thorns i would guess there may be an element of a spiritual demonic attack in the affliction you are in this morning but you need to know this your good father is at work above that and his power and wisdom is such that he can work all things together for your good He can work all things together for your good. Even that thing. He can work it for your good. So this thorn then will not have the final say in your life. You need to think about this for a minute. The heavenly vision did not keep sin out of Paul's life, he had the heavenly vision, and immediately pride begins to rise up. But God is at work in the thorn to make Paul more Christ-like. Sanctification is often worked out through suffering, than ecstatic revelations and visions. Remember what Paul said back, way back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, We thought we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We thought we had received the sentence of death, but that, that near death experience, that affliction, was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. In chapter 4, he said this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. And now in chapter 12, he says this painful thorn is producing humility. For some of you this morning... It's like you're looking at your suffering, your hardship, this thorn, this affliction, whether it's emotional, whether it's relational, whether it's physical, and you just see over top of it big letters that say meaningless. Meaningless. And you need to know this morning that your suffering is never meaningless, it's doing something. It's never meaningless. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit begins to lift that lie that God has left you alone in your suffering. I feel like some of you feel like you have that messenger of Satan to harass you. And you need to hear a louder voice this morning of God's that says, I'm here and I'm at work. I'm here and I'm at work. It's not meaningless. And you can't wrap your head around it and you just think, oh, I can't, I don't, I don't see it, I can't see it. But Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 not to look to the things that are seen, but to look to the things that are unseen. And if God was at work in Paul's thorn, if God God was at work in Job's life, if God was at work. In Joseph's slavery, if God was at work in the crucifixion of His Son, Jesus Christ, then He is at work in your suffering, in your life. And it's not meaningless. I've heard this, I heard this poem once, and it's com- comforted me a lot through the years. And I'll share it with you, and maybe someone will be comforted this morning. It says, Beware the thought that all is vain. In time, God's wisdom will be plain. What you have lost, He will restore. That and Himself forevermore. It's not meaningless. Second, I think this text asks us are we experiencing God's power in our weakness? Are we experiencing God's power? In our weakness. And I think the way to experience God's power in our weakness is to not shrink back from what God has called us to despite our weaknesses. Paul is a weak man who accomplishes much for God. Paul is content with his weakness because he knows God's power in the midst of it. And so we need to see that the third heaven vision that we looked at last week and Paul talking about content and being rejoicing in his thorn in the flesh, they are both supernatural works of God. We're not talking about just stiff upper lip and just being stoic and just pushing it all down and pick your chin up and endure through the suffering. Paul says, as I serve the churches as an apostle, preaching, encouraging, traveling, ministering, I'll boast gladly in my thorn. I'm content with it because I see God's greater purposes and plans. That is a supernatural work of God. Sam Storm says, Paul's joy was not in pain, but in his realization of the complete adequacy of God's grace in Christ to meet his every need and to transform his weakness into an opportunity for the glory of Christ to be displayed. Look at what God says to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. It's enough. His grace fills all the tiny cracks and crevices of your pain and your hardship. There's not one corner of your affliction that is not met with the outflow of God's grace. Some of you might see meaningless over your suffering. I think other people might see in big letters, disqualified. Disqualified. And you need to know this morning that your weakness does not disqualify you from the call of God on your life because your strength isn't the reason That God called you in the first place. And far from being your disqualification, Paul is showing us loud and clear that it's your weakness that qualifies you for what God has called you to. Paul is saying his apostolic qualification is not hung on his third heaven vision, his apostolic qualification is hung on his weakness. Your weakness doesn't disqualify you. It's your very weakness that qualifies you so that God's power can shine through you as you live for Him. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. In your chronic pain, His grace is sufficient for you. In your migraines, his grace is sufficient for you. When your reputation is drugged through the mud, his grace is sufficient for you. In your depression, his grace is sufficient for you. When your kids have you at wit's end, his grace is sufficient for you. In your insomnia, his grace is sufficient for you. When the doctor calls with the test results, His grace is sufficient for you. In your ringing ears, His grace is sufficient for you. And when your day drains you and you feel weak and you feel so tempted to just turn back to those sins that give you comfort for a moment, that give you purpose for a moment, in that moment, His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your moment of weakness. So we need to hear loud and clear your suffering, no matter its intensity, no matter its longevity, no matter its variety, it cannot stop the flow of God's grace in your life. Even in your weakness, His grace is sufficient for you. Your suffering does not disqualify you. God can work through you. It's not meaningless. He's working in you. And it hasn't disqualified you because he's working through you. And one more question really stood out to me as I went through this passage. So, are we seeing our suffering as a purposeful piercing? Are we experiencing God's grace in our weakness? And the last one is just simply this Are we pleading? Are we pleading? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.8, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So yes, God has a purpose in Paul's thorn. Yes, His power is made perfect in Paul's weakness. Yes, His grace is sufficient for Paul in the midst of suffering. But still, He pleads passionately, fervently. So some of you might see meaningless, Some of you might see disqualified. I think there's others who look at your suffering and the big word over top of it is just complacent. Just accepting that that's where God has you. And yes, Paul willingly embraced his thorn, but only after he pleaded with God for it to be removed. So clearly Paul believed that affliction was something from which we can and should pray for to be delivered from and something that God was clearly able to do. And I think unless God reveals otherwise like he did with Paul, we too should be passionately pleading for deliverance. Weakness is a ground for Christ's power It's not its one and only condition. So we shouldn't seek suffering to experience God's grace, and we can and should pray for suffering to be removed. So are we pleading? Are we pleading for ourselves? Are we pleading for one another? Are we pleading? Do we actually believe that God is able to heal that God is able to deliver? Do we actually believe that he hears prayer, that prayer accomplishes something? Do we believe that God, whose resume is supernatural work, is unable to deliver us from our affliction? Yes, Paul grew to be rejoiced and content in that, but only after God revealed to him that that's where he should be. Before that, he was pleading with God to be delivered. And can come back up and we'll start to worship and hopefully pray for each other as well. And to end, we're going to sing a song that encourages us to really cast ourselves on God, to lean hard on the everlasting arms. And this morning, if you can relate to where Paul is at here, if you can relate, if you know afflictions in your own life, if you Uh, hear Paul say I had a thorn in my flesh and he's speaking your language then I would encourage you to sing to receive prayer that you might lean hard on him if you think things are just meaningless you're beginning to sink into despair and bitterness let's lean hard on God this morning for hope let's lean hard on God this morning for hope if you need to experience his power and your weakness, if you feel like your suffering has sidelined you, that God has no purpose or plans for you anymore because of your weakness, let's lean hard on God this morning for sufficient grace. If Paul can be used by God with his unrelenting weakness, then God can use you as well. And maybe you've kind of twisted these verses and you've just resigned yourself to this suffering without first pleading for it to be removed. Let's lean hard on God this morning for healing. So as we sing this song, I'll turn it over to Gary and Joel, but I'll just say this. Don't let your weakness keep you from experiencing what God has for you this morning. Don't let your desire not to be seen as weak keep you from what God has for you this morning. If you just need to cast yourself on God in the midst of your affliction, do that. If you need to come down for prayer so that others can support you and bear your burdens with you, do that. Don't let your desire not to be seen as weak keep you from what God has for you. Let's stand.